Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. When we turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 26, this is going to not conclude necessarily Saul's life quite yet, of course. We're getting there, but uh, not quite there yet. But this does kind of conclude certain aspects of, of things with Saul. This kind of chapter 26 is kind of a dividing line. It kind of separates or sets apart this uh, area of Saul's pursuit of David. And so we're kind of wrapping up that kind of thought process as, as Saul has been uh, pursuing David and is again now chasing after him. Uh, it is interesting as we get into verse one of chapter 26, where David is or where he's gone now again. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding in the hill of Hachilah opposite Jeshurun? So they've kind of gone and told on uh, David where he is again. And uh, you remember when we had gotten to this area of Ziph before in uh, chapter 23, you might recall us visiting that spot before. And when we were there before, and when David was, was in that place, uh, Ziph is, um, and this whole wilderness of Ziph, it means the place of refining. You might remember we talked about that a little bit. It's like being in the crucible, you know, this place where it's, you know, the molten, the metal is heated up and usually it was, you know, a precious metal that's heated up and silver, gold, things like that. And it's heated up in a crucible and then the dross, the impurities come to the surface and they gently kind of just scrape that stuff off the top, get rid of the impurity there until ultimately they can look down and uh, the craftsman looks inside and see, can see his face as, off, as it were a perfect mirror you know, being, being shown to him. So it's kind of this, this is kind of that place, but why the thought is, do you remember what happened subsequently when he was in this place of Ziph, in the wilderness of Ziph before? A similar kind of thing happened. They, the people there kind of knocked him off and he ended up being, you know, kind of ultimately trapped by Saul. And it could have been the end of David potentially, but remember a messenger came and, and, and it's told Saul, hey, they're attacking over here. And so Saul kind of freaked out and grabbed his guys and they went another direction prior to really launching a final attack because David was trapped there and God kind of spared him. It's interesting, isn't it? That David would go back to that place. And I just think sometimes maybe we might return to places or things or in our minds even that were, were places that were uh, maybe even potentially destructive or something. It's interesting. Why, why revisit that? Why go back to that place? And, and that's a question, quite frankly, that is left for us unanswered. But I will say this there is a but in this that's good is that it's not just the matter of why he would go back to Ziph. Maybe there was some other reason that's just not disclosed, that's irrelevant. But what is interesting is we do know David's heart in going to this place. We know what was going on inside of him. And I'll tell you that in just a moment. Let's get on with a few more verses here. 
Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So again, we have this, this kind of scenario setting up again, potentially very destructive for, for David. And he's back in this spot where he's in, in a, a place of danger in a sense. Of course, the guy's on the run. He's a fugitive, basically. And Saul wants to kill him and he knows all that. But again, you've got to remember, David's mindset, this is a glimpse into his heart anyway, is his mindset is we left off with David, remember, cutting not that long ago the hem of his garment. We talked about that. He cut the hem of his, David cut Saul's garment in the cave in, uh, in Gedi. And you remember how he, he really felt bad that he'd done that because it was really a violation in certain ways because he really was making a big statement by cutting the hem of his garment. Because, you know, remember we talked about that, the significance of the hem of the garment and what that really meant and how it was all knotted together and the way it was knotted together really spoke of some of his, his heritage and who he was and his pedigree and, and his right to the throne and all those things. And David just strategically cut a chunk out, kind of saying, yeah, you know what, man, it's been cut from you and I just proved it kind of thing. But I didn't take, he didn't take his life. I'm thinking, David's my hero. Golly, I would have just thrust the guy through and been done with it. Just kill him. He's, your, he's an enemy. You know, he's only bringing this guy just grief and hassle. And, you know, but David doesn't do that. It's so great how David was restrained. And the Lord spoke to David, remember, and said, quickened him in his heart. He's like, man, what are you doing? And he was grieved that he'd even cut the hem of his garment. You know, I'm thinking, I'm proud of the guy that that's all he did. You know, I'm thinking, way to go, David. You didn't kill him. That's awesome, dude. You know, but, but God knows deeper things about that because it was a real diss, really, in a deep, deep way, what he had done by cutting the hem of his garment. Enough said. But we'll get into his heart on this in just a minute, a little bit further. He's gone back to this place, but in his mind, in his mind, remember, Saul had projected and verbalized a repentant heart toward, toward chasing after David. Remember that? He had, he had, he had been repentant. Now, we kind of know because we were a little more familiar with the, a lot of us are more familiar with the front and back of the story here. So we know, well, that's not really, don't, don't buy in on it, David. Don't buy in on it because we've read that ahead, you know. Don't buy in on this, David. But, but the truth is, is David, this, this is being written. Well, you know, David's gone, but this is a recording of the events. You know, David's in real time living this out. So he doesn't know all of that stuff that we know now. But the idea, when you think about that and you think about how that might've played out for him, he's thinking, well, you know, hey, cool. You know, I'm just kind of hanging out in Ziff now. This is a cool place. Everything's good. Saul's, you know, on the right track now. He's not after me to kill me and all this. But now he catches wind. Let's get on verse three. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hachilah, which is opposite Jeshuan, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness. David stayed out in his place. And he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David, when he realized that this was the case, David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul indeed had come. He waited there to find out, hey, is this really what's happened? Has he really, are you kidding me? Dude, I thought you were repentant. You know, so this is an interesting thing. David, from his position, wanting to believe, from his vantage point, wanting to believe the best in Saul. One, this was, this was at one time his father-in-law. He was, you know, would sit at the king's table and eat, right? He had a very good position within the king. He was one of the lead warriors, you know. I mean, he's just got, and, and again, he's a relative in that sense too. And he would sit at a place of honor at the king's table and so forth. 
And he wants to believe the best because this is the king. He knows that, 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 that he's God's instrument in that sense. And he, he wants to believe the best that Saul's, you know, turned a corner and doing the right thing. And, and he just, he loves Saul. You know, and, and I, I just think that's, that's a good thing. But in that, I love this part. In that, read verse four again with me. David, understanding that it was possibly the case that Saul had gone out into, the, into Ziph looking for him and brought these men with him. Notice he wants to, he's thinking the best of, of Saul, but he says, David therefore sent out spies. He wanted, well, you know what? Better check this out. He's not a fool, right? He, he, he's recognizing, he's wanting this to be true, that, that, that Saul's on the right track, that he's not after him to kill him anyway. He wants to believe that because that's what Saul had told him, remember? That's where we kind of left off. Saul had kind of turned a corner, was flying right, when in fact, David wants to believe it, but he knows that, man, there's been a nasty pattern, hasn't there? There's been a repetitive thing that keeps happening with Saul. And this pattern that's been established, he says, man, I better send out these guys. You guys better go check this out, man. Wanting to not see this situation being what it is. It's believing the best in a friend, believing the best in a young person that maybe you're working with, believing the best in a situation that that person hasn't gone back into substance, that that person isn't gone back to the bottle, that that, 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 that situation isn't what I think it might be. Oh man, how I desperately want to be wrong, but I need to check this out and make sure. So you kind of see a little bit of David's heart in this. I want to read to you Psalm 54 quickly. Because Psalm 54, David had written this while he was in this, this situation in Ziph. In verse 1 of Psalm 54, it's just a seven-verse uh, psalm, so don't feel like we're reading Psalm 119 or something. You know, We'd be here all night dissecting that, wouldn't we? And into tomorrow. Save me, O God, by your name. That's what you guys were just thinking. I hope he doesn't get into Psalm 119. And vindicate me by your strength. So remember, he's in the wilderness, he's on the run, and here's his heart. So remember, because we're questioning, why go back there, dude? That doesn't make any sense. That's my question. That should be your question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why would you go back? You just got, you got trapped there last time. You almost got killed. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Interesting. God's not the priority in these other guys' lives. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. You know, he's, David's all for it. Hey man, just sever, sever your head if you have to. Sever their heads. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name. This is the heart of, of David as he's writing. He's out there in this place, and, but this is his, what he's expressing. I will freely sacrifice to you. I, I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. He says, you know, I've watched God time and again bring deliverance. I've watched God time and again 
bring deliverance. I, I really think that that little just insight into the heart of, of David really, for me, helps a lot. You and I would look at this and say, as far as him going back there, him having this vantage point of Saul, you know Saul had promised that he, he had turned away from this pursuit. He had promised that. And again, David's wanting to believe that. But you know, that type of thing, a, a promise like that, is not necessarily a transformation. That's not necessarily the transformation Reformation is not, you know, being reformed is what we try and do sometimes. We want to reform people, but they don't really need reformation. They need transformation because reformation can't be trusted always, you see, because if someone's reformed, there's this great possibility that they might go back. They might slip back where when you're transformed, you're changed. There's metamorphosis that's taking place. You've been born again. So we believe in transformation and that's what we want to be supportive of and that we want to encourage and we want to support and we want to stand on that. And we want to state that to one another. No, you're not obligated to do that anymore because you've given your life to the Lord. You don't have to respond to that sin nature. You can follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to encourage one another with those truths because Saul really does not have an active relationship with the Lord anymore. Now, even if Saul was sincere about what he said, he has no power and ability inside because he has no relationship with God. He's not walking with God anymore. And so without that, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So true. And so this is really that kind of a situation. He can't, he's not able to walk in the spirit because he's not following God. He's not walking with God. So it's just one of those deals where we kind of get this insight into David's heart, but we also see, unfortunately, the reality of Saul's situation. And it plays out exactly this way because he's in pursuit. He's gone after David. Let's pick it up in verse five. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, of course, the commander of, of his army. So I noted that, just you can note who, who's immediately surrounding him. You know, it's, it's Saul's lane there, Abner's right nearby, and all the other guys are, are you know, they're, they're crashed out, just sleeping out in the wilderness, sleeping out under the stars type thing. They're camping. And he's just kind of surrounded though by all his close guys, you know, the guys that would be defenders of him, you know, the warriors and stuff. And Abner, the key guy. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him, as I just described. And then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of, ooh, that's a rough one, the brother of Joab, saying, who will go, I don't want to embarrass myself too far with that one. You guys work on that pronunciation yourself. Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? So he puts out this question. This is a cool thought because one, David's not sending someone else to do something he doesn't want to do. David's willing, he's a great leader, just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to find good leadership? Man, you look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a perfect leader. He did for you what nobody could ever do for you and for me. 
and he is more than a friend. He's a savior. He, he is willing to the very end to sacrifice his own life that you might have life and that I might have life. You know, the Bible's very clear on this and, and the, the level of sacrifice and the type of leadership that he have. Now, Abishai is uh, one of David's nephews. And he says, as he asks these two guys, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? I would be like, ooh, God, I don't know, dude. That's, uh... But Abishai said, I will go down with you. He goes, man, I, I, I wanna go. Can you imagine? Sure, Uncle David, sounds great, man. You know, <laughs> that sounds like an adventure and a half. But, you know, he's going to go down and, and kind of right into the encampment there. So I, just the curiosity is it would be fascinating just in and of itself just to want to go for that. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, I like verse eight, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. You remember in the cave in Engedi? Remember his friends? Said the same thing to him, same thing. Again, the same thing is happening. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. I'm sure they were talking probably really, really quiet. You know, <laughs> dude, don't wake him up. <laughs> you know, yeah, can you imagine? Now, therefore, Please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. He goes, I'll pin him right to the ground. And then, he, and listen, I like this last part a lot. And I will not have to strike him a second time. I will make this count. Trust me, let me just do this, dude. Can you imagine? These guys are on the run. There's about 600 guys. The original 400 that we had marked out for us were pretty messed up. And they're just, they've been holed up and running around and here and there and trying to get food from this place and that place and just, you know, on the go, on the go. And they're on the go because of this dude. And we can eliminate this problem right here and right now and go back home and worship in the temple and just get our lives back on track, you know? Dave, let's do it. You don't have to do a thing. Matter of fact, David, I'll do it for you. Can you imagine the temptation for David? Well, Abishai couldn't, I got, you know, dude, we couldn't yell at him. I mean, what was I going to do? You know, I mean, you kind of see. This brings up some interesting thoughts for us to think through and to work through for ourselves. The temptation, again, the testing, is this opportunity? Is this something that's a good thing, that's, that's an opportunity? Or is this a testing? Now, now, David went through this one time, Right? And David's heart was quickened. Remember, after he cut the garment, his heart was quickened. He thought, oh man, I shouldn't have even done that. What the, oh, God, I gotta get, you know. So he's, he goes away and he does tell some, hey man, I was right there with you. Look at, tell me your garment. You know, he tells him, all, you remember the story. Well, here he's in the same kind of a situation, except he's gotta talk really quiet. It's the only thing different. But he's in this spot. And again, it's, is it an opportunity is this a blessing that's presented to me? Is this, this just this perfect situation, this scenario that has been set up and this is great? Or is this, ooh, wait a minute. Those are always such good things to think through. That's why we're spending a minute on it again. Is it right? Would it have been right? Was it right for David, even though it was in his power to take this matter into his own hands again? Was that the right thing to do in this situation? We know, we know. This is, 
The, the danger in this is it's potentially what you could look at as a presumptuous sin. He could be presuming, you see, that this is something that he should take opportunity on, thinking that his enemy has been delivered into his hand, when in fact, he's got to remember who Saul is. That's the key, because God anointed Saul as an instrument of his, of the God's. God anointed him as an instrument. And that is where David is absolutely fixated on that. So you, me, all of us have to be careful with our sometimes overzealous friends. Sometimes the zeal of others, we can get caught up in that. Yeah, this is the, oh yeah, we got, you know, pin them to the ground and be done with it. You know, put them out of our misery, get rid of him. Now, David again has to talk very quietly. So we have to listen in cautiously. David says to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? God's instrument, should we stretch out our hand against him? God's using him to shape and mold and build character into our lives. Even though it's an agitation, man, we've got to see this for what this is. Man, if you strike out, if we strike out our hand against God, man, God is, now we're, we're gonna be enemies of God. We gotta be wise, we gotta be cautious, we gotta be smart about this. We can't get caught up in this moment, in the zeal and, and the situation. And David furthermore whispers to Abishai, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. He says, one way or the other, this guy's gonna be, this guy's done. This guy's making bad decisions. Look at where we're standing. There he is laying right there. Abner's right there. And we're in the middle of the camp. They're all just sawing logs, you know? We can, we can just kill him right now. You know, this, can you imagine what's going on in his mind? And so he says, hey, the Lord's either gonna strike him dead He's just gonna die, just physically, just have a, just die, or he's gonna go out to battle and perish in battle. One, one, of, one of those three, something's gonna happen. And other basically he's saying, hey, God's gonna take care of this. That, that's basically what he's saying. God's gonna deal with this matter. God's gonna take care of it. The Lord forbid in verse 11 that I should, should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. Grab the spear, this canteen, and let's get out of here. Let's split. This is Pastor Jim. You know, in, in the book of Acts, we learned a great little story. And I think about it sometimes when we wrap up a, a message like we did today and, and how there's just a, a response that kind of stirs in us when we hear God's word. You know, there was a, a guy that was a, a Philippian jailer. He was, a, a you know, just a jail guard. And he realized that the people that he was interacting with uh, were worshiping God and uh, connected with God. And 
His response when he interacted with these guys, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, God's got a plan and a purpose not only for you, but for your family, for your household, for your friends. But it begins with you giving your life to Jesus and getting right with God. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you did give your life to Jesus, but you're not walking with him. Either way, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel message, the good news that God loves you and and has a purpose and plan for your life. Anyway, God loves you, and it's a simple prayer of faith, and it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God will forgive you of your sin if you will confess your sin. He will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Let's pray that prayer right now. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin, that you'd come into my heart and make my heart your home. I want to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for everlasting life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that my life might please you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.